0: The time is now. Volume 1, Episode 15. Hey everybody, this is Mike Schmidt, the host of Employment Law Now. Thank you so much for being with us for another episode.
1: To everything.
0: Well, yes, seasons have turned, and here we are, uh, just entering the fall season. I hope everybody had a terrific summer, uh, and I hope you all have a a very nice upcoming fall, one of my favorites, if not my favorite season of the entire year. And in addition to seasons turning, tables also turn. And for today's episode, we're going to turn the tables on a brand new Turn the Table segment here on Employment Law Now. We're going to turn the tables on your host. That's me. As this time, I will be the one being interviewed for this particular segment, as opposed to the interviews that I conduct as the host of this podcast. I recently appeared on Sirius XM Channel 111, uh, which is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, uh, and I was interviewed and asked some questions about employee activity and employers taking action based on that employee activity. I thought I would replay that interview here in its entirety, and I hope you find it useful.
1: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey, folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. And that zippy music tells you this is the time in the show for talking about labor and employment law. Ta-da! Yay! (laughs) Always fun.
2: (laughs) We have Michael Schmidt here. He's vice chair of the Labor and Employment Department of Cozen O'Connor, a 600 or more lawyer firm with about 15 to 20 offices all around the country. And he's by far the coolest. He's out of the New York office. Welcome to the show, Michael. (laughs) Thanks, Peter and Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, Michael, you
1: know that Dan at one point worked there.
2: Yes, I, I did not know that. Yeah. When was that? Uh, late '90s. I was vice chair of the labor and employment department. <laughs>
1: so, Where are you really? Well, oh so
2: I said we got to have this guy on. He's obviously very intelligent and, and very, well, and, and will be make a great and very guest. Very cool. Now, yeah.
1: Michael, we should warn you uh, if you've never been listened to the show before. First of all, shame on you. Uh, we have a special device for lawyers on the show, uh-huh. uh, and the device is uh, a warning to them if things become too technical. So let's see if we can get Tatiana to just tell you what it is here and so you ready that's the warning gong uh, which means, please stop, because things have gotten they, they too technical. They said getting
2: bored. What it, well, is, what it is, Michael, is Peter and, and his minions here, they get really jealous of my really cool legal analysis, and that's just how they t- respond to their own
1: insecurities.
2: Ha.
0: <laughs> well, I can't say that I've never been gonged before in my life, but okay. I, mean, oh, good. Uh, I will accept <laughs> good. readily the challenge
1: for this show's purpose. Okay, so the idea is avoid being gonged. Okay, okay off we go. Now, you want to talk
2: about concerted activity for mutual aid or protection. Is that right? That sounds great. Okay. Well, tell us about this doctrine, where it comes from. I see something here about the National Labor Relations Act. So that means it's strictly union employees who have these rights, correct?
0: Well, no, that's actually the myth that uh, is still out there today in 2017. Most people uh, sort of glaze over when you talk about the uh, NLRA and the NLRB, which is the National Labor Relations Board, thinking that the uh, requirements in that act only apply to union facilities when, in fact, it applies to all employers equally. Mm,
1: So, Michael, let me ask you on this one. In my class this week, students were talking about and asking about whether they can share information about their salaries with each other. Can they?
0: The uh, easy answer is they can, um, and it's really a product of, of two sources. One is the uh, National Labor Relations Act, uh, where if they are sharing, talking about uh, the terms and conditions of the workplace, which would include conversations about salary, wages, that kind of thing, um, that could be considered and most likely would be considered a protected concerted activity under the NLRA. The other source that uh, people really should start thinking about is that beyond the NLRA so many states so many local jurisdictions and, and even the federal uh, legislature are coming out with all kinds of uh, new regulations, new laws uh, on the equal pay front mm-hmm. uh, to talk about how we should have more transparency with compensation, both as an equal pay uh, issue, men versus women, but also generally uh, to assist low-wage earners, for example. So, so much is out there now, and, and there's more than one source out there which uh, really would have a problem with a company looking. To to prohibit employees from discussing or sharing uh, mm. their salary information.
1: So if you're one of those employers who who has a no uh, has a pay secrecy policy and tells employees they can't do this, y- you better rethink it, huh? Yeah.
0: I would certainly uh, rethink it or uh, better come up with uh, an articulable reason justifying it that no one has thought of yet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly right. Now, I will uh, uh, respectfully disagree with you on one thing. The uh, liberals who advocate these uh, concerted activity rights say it's broad-based rights, et cetera. But if you look at it closely, it certainly doesn't apply to airline employees like flight attendants, railroad Mm -hmm. employees, doesn't apply in agriculture. Uh, doesn't apply. To, Ooh, yeah, okay. It doesn't apply at the supervisory level. And then somehow there's some state laws that, that fill in the gap. Um, what are some of the other major – it doesn't apply if you work at a public school district. It hmm. uh, doesn't apply if you work at, at federal, state, or local government in general. Okay. Uh, what are the other major exclusions of folks who would have no rights under the NORA?
0: I love the pre-show research on the issue here. This is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the broad... Actually, I just know this stuff, Michael. <laughs> Trust me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Even more impressive. In addition to uh, the exceptions you were talking about, certainly um, the, uh, another big one uh, when it, is when it comes to supervisors. So supervisors are generally not going to be entitled to the benefits uh, under the NLRA, certainly for purposes of the protected concerted activity issues that you're hearing and reading so much about. So if you are a manager employee, a supervisory employee, uh, you are not going to be able to claim that your discipline, your termination violated uh, the uh, National Labor Relations Act. Right. So okay.
1: can I ask uh, both of you guys, maybe starting with you, Michael, so in terms of what I can do as an employee, first of all, I've got to be somebody covered by the National Labor Relations Act, and I can usually find that out because in my workplace, don't they have to post that someplace? They do. They do. Yeah, and so it basically if i could join a union i'm covered right yeah Yeah. uh and i got to be a private employer to be covered by that one right private sector employer right yeah so if i'm that uh and and i'm thinking about okay what am i allowed to do can you give us a brief guide even if i'm not there's no union here i'm not joining a union but what does that allow me to do
0: So what does it allow you to do as an employee or does it allow you to to do from a discipline standpoint as an employer? An
1: employee. What can I do that I couldn't have done without the act?
0: Well, so let's just deal with the act, uh, which is the focus of your question. You are entitled to engage in protected, concerted activity.
1: We have a gong ready? What does that See, mean? Which he asks cool these cool questions, out. then
0: he threatens to <laughs> gong you. This is no what they do that. to me, Michael. It's just not right. I should have been able to finish the sentence. Oh, sorry. Me. Okay. Uh,
1: okay. So, yeah.
0: protected concerted activity, comma, which means you that you are able to talk with your co workers about the terms and conditions of the workplace, which, which means is a what? fairly broad standard. Yeah? yeah. But what it means is you can't just be uh, engaging in an individual rant, an individual gripe. Okay. You can't just be spewing out um, issues about your supervisor, you have a personality dispute, something like that, where you're not involving your coworkers, workers um, and you're not looking to involve your co-workers. Again, it's got to be concerted activity. So there's got to be more than one person involved. Okay, And then it's got to be protected concerted <clears throat> activity. And it's only protected, not for any and all discussion, but discussion about the terms and conditions of the workplace, okay, whether yes. it's salary, um, discrimination, um, unsafe conditions in the workplace place, things like that. So, okay, I have better questions than you, Peter, actually. Uh,
1: can I just get in, make sure I understand that one? Because if I think if I'm not a lawyer, I'm not sure I've quite got yeah. the handle on that. So I could talk to my fellow workers and complain about the company's policies around things like wages, hours, vacation time, all that kind of stuff, right? I can do that.
0: Sure, I think that would be on the side of the spectrum, the, the easy uh, textbook example right. of what would be protected.
1: I can't, necess- I can't, with that protection, complain about what's happening to me personally.
0: Well, uh, again, if, if you are complaining about what's happening to you personally and asking coworkers if it's also happening to them,
1: okay, yeah, okay, or
0: or how does what's happening to me personally um, affect the morale of the group because I am a beloved employee uh, okay. at this company? Ooh, um, so yeah, I wouldn't be so quick to to conclude that this is just an individual gripe or that this is just something involving you and solely you. Okay, um, and I think that the common denominator here of what we're talking about is you're really towing the line from the employer standpoint and also from the employee standpoint Um, there are lots of laws lots of protections out there in 2017 and we can get into what's different about I think this year versus 10 15 20 years before this but it 's not to say that employees can do everything and anything they want, and it 's not to say that employers can never take action uh, adverse action against an employee you You really need to analyze the situation
2: okay Michael I got some good questions for you, so you 're saying that an employee covered by Section 7 has the right to foment discontent in the workplace about wages, hours, working conditions. Is that correct?
0: Do, do I get to gong?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, just, that's a good question. That's counterintuitive
1: to a lot
0: of business people.
1: So what is that? And yes, Michael, you, if, can. If you If you could explain to listeners what...
0: There we go. I need one of those. A
1: remote gong. Uh, if you could explain to listeners what Dan just said.
0: Um, I Well, can Dan, can Dan ask the question again?
2: Yeah. Sure. Well, basically... It is not uncommon that uh, someone want to take disciplinary action, maybe fire an employee, because they're the ones in there keeping everybody from having a smile on their face. They're miserable themselves. They don't like seeing somebody who's happy with their job because they hate their job, even though it's the same job. And so they're always saying, uh, shouldn't this be better? Shouldn't it be better? The bosses make too much. We don't make enough. And And sometimes you get people complaining, you know, like, can you get him away from my workstation? He's got mm. nothing good to say about this place or anything. He's annoying. Mm. I can't get my work done. And then even on break periods, he's like twisting my arm, telling me I should be miserable. Um, boss hears this and says, that's the third such complaint I've heard. Mm. That person is fomenting discontent in the workplace.
1: Mm. If you have a boss who says you're fomenting <laughs> discontent yeah. in the workplace, uh, pray thee, kind sir. Yes. Uh, it's quite a boss. Um,
2: Troublemaker, so rabble,
0: rouser, etc. Right. Can Is you that fire, person protected? Can lately? you
1: fire a negative Nancy? I it?
0: think that's a great example of the slippery slope situation, mm, yeah. because if you really want to parse out the two aspects of that, yeah. the answer would be yes conceptually and, I guess, academically, the answer would be yes. If, if the issue that you're firing over has to do with the fact that you are negatively affecting people's performance in the workplace... And ability to get work done. Yeah. And the ability to get work done and the ability to become successful as a business, um, I think that standing alone is fine but again we we're not dealing with the academic we're dealing with reality and i think you would have to spend a good amount of time and certainly a good amount of money having to prove the disconnect between the lawful reason that you articulated and the potentially unlawful reason so yeah. one of the best approaches i think in that kind of situation is to sit that um, negative nelly down uh... in the office hr manager wherever it may be and talk about the issues that are Uh, really at the the heart of these complaints and the negativism. Um, So you're looking like uh, you are taking this seriously. You're looking like you are um, uh, understanding and considering the concerns being raised, while at the same time you're making it known that while we appreciate and we have no problem with you raising these kinds of issues with us, you need to be able to perform your job, and you need to be able to let other people perform their job.
2: Yeah. By the way, I agree with that. the The only thing the employer could go on there in terms of discipline is keeping people from getting work done at their workstation. And you are right. If you got to separate that out from all the other reasons, um, it's not what the employer wants to litigate. So I agree with that. And by the way, these rights would apply. Let's say you got a salesperson making two hundred fifty thousand a year, but he or she doesn't supervise anyone. These rights would also apply to that person, wouldn't they?
0: Yes, this is not really a a product of how much money you're making. I mean, I think that would be one factor when you're looking at is this person a management or supervisory person. Uh, But it really will go more toward what their job duties are uh, to define whether they are supervisory or not and and therefore not covered. Okay.
2: Okay. You're listening to Michael Schmidt, Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department at Cozen O'Connor here on In the Workplace on Business Radio Powered by the Wharton School. If you have questions, call in at 844 nine four two seven eight
1: six six i think we're talking we're talking here free legal not advice but free legal opinions yes uh we thoughts. Talk about that. thoughts free um, legal thoughts
2: okay let me ask you some questions you said concerted activity tell me what's concerted i'll give you some examples i think are two employees come to the boss back in the shop and say it's too darn cold in here can you like pay to have this place heated or close the windows or something like that this is crazy that's concerted right I think
0: that's an easy one, yep.
2: Okay, employee goes to the boss and says, I've been talking to a lot of other people. It's just me here right now. I've been talking to a lot of other people. We all feel this way. We want raises. That's protected, right? That's concerted, right?
0: We're moving uh, along that spectrum now from the two extremes, but I would still think you've got a better shot arguing that is concerted.
2: Okay. Uh, Now let me get some tough ones. Employee goes in and says, uh, like we had a a player here on the Eagles did, complaining about the the coach a few years ago, Mm. I feel this way and so do a lot of other people, complaining to the boss, Ah. but they never really did talk to anybody else.
1: They're just saying they... They uh, did. Suppose you didn't know that, though, right? Suppose you didn't. Suppose uh, suppose they're not lying, right?
2: But, yeah. But but the employer, they just hear. They probably don't believe they're speaking on other people. But the person said, I'm speaking on behalf of my coworkers, and we say this. Is that concerted?
0: Well, I think two things. I think, one, as the employer, uh, before you take any kind of immediate adverse action based on that uh, negative action against the employee, you'd probably want to dig a little bit deeper to see um, whether, in fact, it's concerted, whether other people are involved. But, you know, my feeling without knowing any other facts... Uh, simply by coming in and almost acting as a representative of this uh, issue, for this issue that's affecting a whole group of people, whether or not he or she spoke with other coworkers. In fact, I think you could make the argument uh, that it would be concerted.
2: Okay, And then let me one last question on concerted. Someone goes someone has talked to coworkers, has developed a consensus among the, the statutory employees, goes in and talks to the supervisor, but just says, "I think this, I think that, this is outrageous, etc doesn't say that it's concerted in nature, even though it is. Person gets fired. Does the employer have a problem down at the NRB?
0: I think the employer would have a better argument in that situation because as far as it was concerned, and again, the, you, you're looking at the intent and the motive, right? In these kinds of cases, yeah. you are firing the person, in a sense, in retaliation because that person was engaging in this activity. And so if you don't believe or you don't have any knowledge that the uh, activity was concerted activity, uh, it's hard to say that you had this bad intent. Yeah. So, you know, I think the question again goes to, are you going going to dig a little deeper into the facts. What was the issue? Should it have been known that he or she was talking uh, on behalf of a group of people? You're going to dig a little bit deeper, but just on that uh, basic set of facts, I think the employer would have a better time being able to say, hey, look, I thought this was an individual gripe. I did not think this was concerted activity. Yeah,
2: and by the way, I thought it was a very poorly reasoned decision, but I once saw a board decision coming out the other way where the, the person said it was an individual complaint, even though it was really collective, the employer did not otherwise know it was collective, and the board still held it, w- it was concerted activity, which I thought was unfair to the employer, because how's the employer supposed to know it's concerted? You know?
0: That is, is not the only uh, decision issued by the NLRB in the last few years that one could consider yeah. unfair to employers. Okay,
2: so that's what's concerted. I think you called it protected, um, let me give you a few, an easy one, too. Uh, the employees at Washington Illumina, or whatever the name of that case was, are so angry, uh, they sabotage some machines and cause a steel melt to go awry, costing how many millions of dollars. But it's done in cur- concert to to mm. protect employees from unfair uh, wage rates. Uh, is that protected, Michael?
1: Hi, can I just ask, how was uh, sabotage protecting them? from wage rate problems. Well,
2: it, it's a protest to say, oh, they're just protesting. It. you want to cost us a little money, yeah. we're going to cost you a little money.
0: Well, I don't know that that's such the easy case, because what, really? what I, the analysis hmm. I like to do in these kinds of cases is really a three-step analysis. Sure. We've, we've gone through really the first two. Step one, is this concerted activity? Step two, is this protected concerted activity? And that's what we're starting to talk about now. But there's also this step three, where the board would look to see whether your conduct, uh, even though it may be protected, protected, concerted activity, your conduct was so disloyal, was so reckless and malicious that you are now taken outside the protection that you otherwise had. And so in this kind of situation, if you're causing damage, you know, significant uh, in particular damage to company property, uh, when there was certainly another way you would argue that they could have engaged in mm-hmm. this protest, engaged in this activity, I think there's a chance that you're going to be found to be outside the protection of the act. Too yeah. far. Oh, can
1: I ask a legal question? Sure. Uh, is this a duty of loyalty question? No. <laughs> I mean, you,
2: you could. the employer could have separate duty of loyalty or duty of due care Claims and no the employee
1: the employee. Don't they have a loyalty to yeah, the, the employee employer? has a
2: duty of loyalty. So I was right. They, they do, oh, but the duty loyalty please, issues. See, Peter learns them. one or few legal concepts <laughs> and overuses them. them. <laughs> surprised <laughs> you don't think it's a BFOQ. You don't know, don't make me
0: sit in between you two. <laughs> yeah,
2: okay. Now, basically, the employer could sue them for for violation of duty loyalty for sabotaging the equipment, but also almost a separate analysis from the NRA. And I agree right. that they're going to lose the protections of the Act if if they sabotage something. Okay, can okay. I get, can
1: I get you guys off the labor law for just a oh, second? I uh, have a really good question. I Go know ahead. you did. I know <laughs> yeah. you're really enthused. Calm down, Dan. Yeah. Um, now that the economy is heating up and the labor market's getting stronger, do you think we see more of these claims or fewer of these claims? What do you think? You can both answer this, but not I, at the same time. Okay, Michael well, we'll first. these
0: claims? What, what do you mean by these claims? Well,
1: uh, the, these uh, employees, let's say, at, at doing these consec- uh, sorry, concerted activities, protected activities, uh, and um, maybe pushing them far enough that they end up before the board.
0: Well, what's interesting about that question is, I think the first part of it is, yes, probably. And that goes into my belief that in 2017, we have a much smarter workforce Ah. uh, with greater access to information and and a much easier way of communicating collectively and to masses through social media. So I think the first Ah. part of that question, uh, the answer is yes, I think we will certainly see as much, perhaps even more, of these types of claims. But the other side of that, which is equally interesting interesting is given where we are um, with the uh, Republican in the White House and the Republican controlled Congress and now the Republican controlled or dominated NLRB the question becomes even with a greater number of these kinds of cases are we going to see um, the kinds of decisions from the NLRB that have come out in the last few years that i think most people would agree were uh, perhaps more activist perhaps more pro-employee uh... in their interpretations and and decisions than we had seen in years past mm-hmm. so i think there's two sides of that what are we going to see more claims probably yes um, because of the nature of the workforce. Okay. But are we going to have the same kind of result from the NLRB? And I'm not so sure about that. Yeah.
2: yeah. And to supplement that answer, which I agree with, it, the general thinking is during recessions, you see less union organizing and less concerted activities. During economic boot times, you see more union organizing and more concerted mm-hmm. activities. Mm-hmm. But I think he's exactly right, uh, which is that right now, a charge you file will, in the end, if it's a close call legally, be determined by a Trump-appointed NLRB. So there Mm -hmm. might be a lot of why bother if it's a close call.
1: Yeah, Michael, let me just follow up on that a little bit. So you're talking about the the average employee is better informed these days. Does that mean, and I'm curious as to why you think that is, does that mean like an employee is irritated at work and now they can go on social media and find out what to do about that is that what's going on you think I
0: think there's two things I think they have a greater access to information through social media and otherwise I mean first you know we all know there there are millions of us lawyers out there uh, everybody has got a neighbor a mother-in-law a sister-in-law everyone's a lawyer everyone yeah. seems to know a lawyer so they they seem to be having more access to information that way Uh, through social media and let me give you a very quick example the Department of Labor uh, recently in a a different area recently developed an app for employees to be able to calculate perhaps the uh, amount of not only regular pay but overtime pay that they should be entitled to based on the number of hours they worked Um, you're not going to have all of the discrepancies and all the issues that one would have to go through for that analysis but the point is is that here we now have tools we now have information from the various state and federal agencies, treatises online. I just think it's a more educated workforce that has greater access to information. Hmm.
2: Okay. Let let me ask you another question about losing the the protections of the Act. Say you have a van full of strike replacement workers, many of whom are African Americans, and they're in a Missouri plant and they're driving by the picket line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the white picketers are screaming racial slurs that begin with the word N at the uh, 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 poor guys inside the van. Ooh,
1: Dan's piling it and, on here.
2: And yes. the case is decided by the Obama NRB. How do you think that one's going to turn out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, you know, anytime you start uh, injecting. These kinds of significant racial overtones and and you know that kind of language, uh, it, it becomes so much uh, an emotional issue beyond just the legal issue. Uh, though I will say that the uh, NLRB, at least the Obama NLRB, has been reluctant or had been reluctant to take employees out of the protections of the act based on what many would consider to be offensive kind of statements. Calling your supervisor a scumbag, uh, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, referring to your employer or one of your individual managers by particular names, they've been reluctant to accept that as as crossing the line.
2: Shouting Mm -hmm. and swearing in the blue-collar workplace will not lose you the protections of the act, maybe not even the white-collar. By the way, that hypothetical I gave you, I think, came directly from a case decided by the eighth mm. circuit yes and the obama nlb said oh they didn't lose the protections with those little n words mm. right. they were just like confused white guys that's all I, and and i think the eighth circuit is a split decision did the eighth circuit affirm them or, or reject them
0: believe it affirmed
1: mm. yeah i thought the question was going to be if a van of strike breakers left Missouri going 10 miles an hour and a group of strikers <laughs> left Kansas City going 20 miles an hour how long
2: would it take till the ferguson police killed
1: them uh, ooh uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Uh, I just want to bring out, like, the the Obama
2: NRB doesn't think racial slurs are are over the line, uh, even in precarious situations. But
1: they're gone away, Dan, so you can calm down. Yeah, they're going away. Michael, thanks very much for being with us. We're going to take a break here. Michael
2: Schmidt of Cozen O'Connor.
1: We're going to take a break just a minute here. We got some cold water for Dan to calm him down. And we'll be right back with you in just a minute to talk about job satisfaction in the U.S. See you in a minute. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, It was certainly educational for me, and uh, it also was a lot of fun. In our next episode, in a couple of weeks, um, I've got some really interesting cases and new developments that I'm going to want to talk to you about, including, for example is good looking a new protected class and when it comes to restrictive covenants we all talk about the reasonableness and the enforceability of restrictive covenants non-competes and non-solicits in terms of geographic reasonableness and time restrictions but what about the other part of that equation the consideration given to an employee or not given to an employee for signing a restrictive covenant a very interesting recent development on that front as well so again i hope you enjoyed today's episode like the other ones that we've done for you keep your comments keep your feedback coming please Go to our website, employmentlawnow.com. Send me an email at mschmidt at cozen.com. Let me know the good, the bad, the ugly about this podcast from your perspective and whether there are any topics uh, or potential guests that you'd love to hear on future episodes. So I hope, again, all of you enjoy the beginning of your fall season, and I hope all of your labor is productive. To everything.